There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, first, first thing I want to talk about has, has nothing to do with you, Joe Rogan, but you might appreciate it. No, it does have to do with you, and I'll get to that in a minute. A guy wrote in yesterday, sent us an email, a dude named Rusty down in Texas, and he's li- he had was dicking around on our on our website and realized that there's a podcast. But he's in his tree stand bow hunting. And he said he's in a real shitty tree. Like a, he calls it a tree of uh, questionable integrity. <laughs> so he's got earbuds in and turns the podcast on. In the intro, there's like the sound of a, Jamie knows it well, there's the sound of a tree falling. Like, you know? Yeah. But he thinks the tree's falling. <laughs> <laughs> over the music so he panics realizes his tree's not falling but then he's looking for the tree that is falling and is it going to fall on him before he realizes it's the podcast intro that's hilarious another there's two other things that had me last night i read that and then I, uh my brother calls me and an old buddy of ours is at my brother's house and th- this buddy of ours years ago we were you know, kind of based out of the same house doing some hunting. And one day he leaves before it gets light out to go hunting, but then comes back and it's not even light out yet, but he's got a dead deer. And he said, Oh yeah, I was driving out and the guy in front of me hit a deer with his truck. So rather than going hunting, I just took that deer and tagged it and brought it home. Well, this guy this year is hunting and he's hunting in a field by a road and he's watching a buck. 
praying for the buck to come in bow range of him. At one point, the buck walks the other direction, steps out in the road, and gets hit by a truck while he's watching it. So he ate that buck. <laughs> yeah. Watched it happen. I like that some state agencies allow you to do that, to tag uh, a deer that got hit by a car. Because you talked about that in the podcast, too. Like the, the odds of someone purposely driving around trying to hit deer, like the odds of success are so low. It's almost a ridiculous thing to consider. And the risks are high. And I don't want to go into yeah. too much detail. I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm not sure the total, you know, it's not legal method to take. Yeah, I don't. I, that's why I'm. That's why I'm not like uh, talking in too great a detail about where it has happened and everything. So I'm not sure. I feel like he's got the moral right. Morally, he's right. When we used to, we used to salvage roadkill in Montana when it was illegal to salvage roadkill, because I was it was kind of like a civil disobedience. I always wanted to go to court and and say yes, Your Honor, I ate a dead deer I found on the side of the road, um, guilty as charged. Just to you know, right. Just to kind of make the point, but then in the end they they corrected it. In Michigan, you always just called the cops if you wanted a deer that was hit on the side of the road. You call the cops; they just come out and give you a permit for it. You know, you were talking about this earlier, but isn't it interesting that you see different states with like educated and understanding hunters that are a part of the community versus like say what's going on in new jersey with the bear hunt thing yeah where the the governor comes along and says we're going to stop new jersey has the highest population of black bears per capita or per per acre in the state apparently it's overrun with black bears i have friends who live there and they go it's crazy like you'll see you've seen the videos of them fighting in neighborhoods yeah big 400 pound bears duking it out in the middle of the street and cars stopping and they're knocking over trash cans and they're everywhere but this governor has just decided he's going to go full greenie and stop the bear hunt. We need to stop. Like, it actually ran on it. Yeah. It I mean, kills me. How are you going to control the population? Chris Christie's popularity level had gotten real bad toward the end there, just looking at polling data from New Jersey. Yeah. But like he'd always stuck up for the, you know, he'd always stuck up for the bear hunt. But, you know, it's like I feel bad for real bad for the guys in New Jersey. And, and uh, I would do anything to make that governor have, uh, you know, to, to suffer politically. But. The, the way that people go and stake out the, you know, you got to like take your bear to a check station and people go and like protest the check stations. Yeah. To take all, take a lot of the fun out of it. Yeah. It's no fun. Yeah. There's something about bears. I mean, you've, you said it best, charismatic megafauna. What, what you had in New Jersey too is you had it that the season went away because, you know, their bears had been just in terrible shape. And so they couldn't, I mean, like, like many, many places for a long time couldn't, couldn't support certain hunting seasons. And then they eventually recovered bears to the point where they're like, we used to have a problem of not having enough bears. Now we got a problem of having, by many estimations, too many bears. But the minute you, the minute you lose, if you lose a season, it's hard to, to, to have it come back for, for something like that, you know? And like even places that are doing like elk recovery. There are some states who want to recover their elk herd and bring new elk in, but they don't want to do it until they can put in place absolute language around how the fact that this is going to be a hunted population. Because I know there's been cases where you've reestablished a herd of elk and then get to the thing like, okay, now we're going to open a hunting season and people flip because mm. it wasn't that way before. So now they want to like make sure like, and I hope just so everybody understands 
when this recovery happens and we reach a recovery, recovery objectives, there will be a hunting season because it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult for people to get used to the fact that you're going to be hunting something that you didn't hunt before because they can't picture it being sustainable if it used to be that there weren't enough of them. Wasn't that the thing with wolves? Like when they reintroduced wolves to Yellowstone, they had a number that they had set where it was a a viable population, right? Yeah. And anything above that, they would open up a season. And then they just kept moving the goalposts. Well, they knew that anything, there was never, I don't know if there was never, I I don't think it was explicitly in the recovery plan that hunting would open, but it was in the recovery plan that if they reached the recovery objective, it would go to state management. Now, many people know what that is going to mean, but it wasn't like, and then we'll start hunting them. It was just like state management, but people generally know the same with the the recent grizzly delisting in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem is like when they're not, when they're no longer eligible for federal protection, which that population of bears is not because it's, you know, gone far and above recovery objectives, it will go to state management. People know what that's going to mean. So that's what gets people upset. And in that case, they're correct. Those populations, but most people don't actually know that. You're assuming that. Well, most here's the thing: don't. when they go, when we went to delist the eagle, mm-hmm. the bald eagle, everyone was real happy. No one was suing to keep the bald eagle on the endangered species Because no one list. hunts eagles. Because there's no risk of human exploitation. Because historically and culturally, there's just like people don't hunt eagles. The reason people that are fighting the the delisting decision on wolves or grizzlies they're not arguing recovery well i mean some are but mostly they're they're trying to use that argument as a way to prevent the possibility of human exploitation of the resource all right joe rogan <laughs> joe rogan why do you um why and i i, I know the answer but i want to hear it from you uh tell me your thoughts about bow hunting you just love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And guns is like not I'll still do it. Yeah. But what, like, what, what is the I'll go with you? <laughs> no, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah, I don't think you're like you're not like an anti gun hunter. But talk to me like when you dipped into this when you dipped into hunting, um, and started to get exposed to it, like walk me through kind of your discovery of archery. Uh, and like what like what you know what I mean? Like what grabbed you? Well, I started I started doing archery long before I ever started bow hunting. I bought a bow just on a whim. Me and my wife and my daughter went to an archery shop just for a goof. Because you were fired up about that movie where they all got a no, chase? No, before that, oh. too. <laughs> <laughs> the Hunger Games. Yeah. No, it was before that. I bought a bow, and I bought a target, and I had it in the backyard. And uh, I shot at a couple times, didn't know what I was doing, poor technique, you know, the whole deal. Okay, but but indulge me. What was it about bows? Just looked like something to do. So you, is it like, because you like shooting pool? Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of that. Just Archery just seems like something fun. Like, it's fun to hit a target. It's fun to go to the rifle range and shoot, just shoot paper. Yeah. It's fun, right? And so then... So there was um, no thought of it as a weapon? No, not really. No. No, it was more like, for fun, target. Mm-hmm. And then I met Cam Haynes and uh, had him on my podcast and he brought me a Hoyt and he came over my backyard and showing me how to do it. And then I kind of got into it and then I really got into it. And then I met John Dudley and John Dudley started giving me like real serious, like archery 
advice and explaining the importance of structure and stance and technique. And then I got obsessed. By that point, you were hunting, though. Yeah. Yeah. It became like martial arts. That's what it is. It became like a, a thing where you realize like, oh, there's like some serious levels to your ability. And it's all about how much time you put in. And you could see the improvement with every with there's a direct link between the amount of focus and the amount of energy that you put into it versus the amount of proficiency that you observe. And you just keep getting better and better at it. And there's a long, long, long road. Like it's not it's not an easy thing. It seems like it should be, but just the the act of releasing an arrow with a you know a, um, a surprise release it's a very difficult thing to do, and so all this became uh, like a sort of a mental almost like a meditation thing, like a m- mental exercise. And then when you add to the fact that you can kill something and eat it with that, then it became very exciting. Have you have you in your life have you moved into and out of Passions, obsessions, yeah, obsessions, yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. But like when, when you like, because you used to love to shoot pool. Yeah, I still do. Well, I just don't do it very much. But okay, well, like, do you imagine is is archery different, or do you think that is it plausible that in five years you'd be like, man, was I into bow hunting? No, now I'm real into no throwing darts. <laughs> No, 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 no. The, 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 the archery's the bow hunting thing is for life. Yeah, that one's deep. That's that one's deep in the DNA because you're getting food from it. It's like way more intense. Like a ball going in a hole doesn't mean shit unless you decide it does. You know, if you're shooting pool and like all the money's on the nine, like you made a decision that it's all the money's on the nine. If you are standing there and a, you know, two hundred inch mule deer comes out of the trees and it's 30 yards away and you're centering your pin on its vitals and you're like holy shit and you got to try to keep it together and release that arrow that's real and that's intense there's no there's no uh added value to this you know because you you've decided that you're playing in a tournament or that you know like this is a big game this is bragging rights no this is this is a life or death situation with this wild majestic animal and you owe it to the animal to have a certain amount of proficiency and also you you just you want to make sure that you pull it off you know you could hit that target if it was just a target can you hit that target if it's the deer of a lifetime just standing right there can you do it and there's when you do do it and then you wind up eating that thing like that's what i said to you when you first took us in montana and we were we were eating that deer over the fire and you know, and you were like, "Do you think you're gonna be hunting?" I'm like, "100 percent." I'm like, as soon as that deer hit the ground, and I was like, "Oh, I'm doing this forever." You know, I, I want to get back to the to the idea of why can you hit the target but you can't hit the yeah animal. I, I want to talk about that. Sure. I feel like you have like you'll probably have helpful opinions about it. Um, and I somehow think there's a link there between how many times you've been hit in the face by people. But uh, I often have this fantasy of that if you could rewind human history. And just take it back to some point and like let it run through again. Just to see what things happened. Like what things were inevitable. Right. And what things were like a freak. Yeah. So if you backed it all up to, I don't know, 10,000, 70,000, whatever. And just like let it go. And be like, oh, wow, I can't really, I couldn't believe like what a fluke World War II was. We didn't even come close to that on the second time through. Fidget spinners. But we're still driving cars. Right. Yeah. yeah. Fidget spinners. Yeah. 
certain, Yo-yo. certain fashion things. Absolutely. You just like, there's no way yeah. in the world it would hit again. Right, right. It's weird because you got yeah. young kids. You know about fidget spinners. Mm-hmm. Sure. I know, though, in my experiment, that people were going to see big animals walk by and want to put a projectile behind their shoulder blade. Yes, 100%. It's you just, eat them. That's why, like, that's what it feels to me like so kind of. I don't want to say nice about it. inevitable. There's inevitable. There's an in- inevitability about hunting. They don't know how many times you rewind it. It would we would be finding ways to do it. The gear would look a little different, but the the the, the basic groundwork would remain intact. Well, it's almost unfair to use hunting in that sort of model of like redoing the world all over again because human beings there's a lot of speculation the reason why our brains doubled over a period of two million years is because we started eating meat because we started hunting we started figuring out ways to kill animals we started cooking these animals we had more access to vitamins our brains grew larger for a variety of different reasons but most of it is connected to the idea of us being hunters yeah it's impossible to it's impossible to sort of to to know the absolute answer but i've even seen it i I wrote about this in one of my books i think where uh, anthropo- there, there were some anthropologists who speculated that even the idea of language was probably, I mean, their, their hypothesis was that language was an offshoot of coordinating hunting activities. That it would have been like, here's this instrumental thing you need to figure out how to do. It's very difficult. And we start to see, in human history, we start to see these ideas of, of clans of people coming together to do like collective work. You know, same yeah. like, like wolves will group hunt. But this idea that that was sort of you know, a good thing to have been an early impetus to be able to discuss abstract notions. You go there, I'll go here. And then it, you know, it really forced humans to start to interact and make long-term plans. I was talking about this with, my, uh, with Chris Stapleton yesterday. We were talking about fishing and that there's a thing that happens when you catch a fish or it triggers these ancient reward systems in your body. Like I see it in my kids. The first time they catch a fish, like, oh, 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 like you got it, you got it, we got it, got it. It's like there's a, like a reward system because if you could catch a fish, that means you're going to eat. Like, you've got one, we've got food, it's time to celebrate, woo, we did it. And there's this huge rush of euphoria and happiness that happens, even to, like, five-year-old kids. I, I remember my daughter was, like, four when she caught her first fish, and she couldn't believe it. And I'm helping her hold on to the rod, and she's got this fish, and her eyes are white like like saucers, just so happy. And I was like, this, okay, this is, like, in your system. Yeah. When I see a kid who doesn't get excited about catching a fish, I just want to, like, say to the parents, like, you might want to get that kid checked out. <laughs> I'm amazed too how without any provoking, they immediately are like, how are we going to cook it? When are we going to cook it? Yeah. How, when are we going to eat it? Like, you don't have to start asking questions about that or provoking it. That's like the next thing out of their mouth. It's yeah. like, oh, holy shit, I caught one. Now what? You know, well, how does that thing yeah. get to my mouth? Trying to talk my kid into letting something go is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking about anything, man. I can't, like, you know, he catches a cricket and that cricket goes into a bucket. I'm like, okay, let's let the cricket go. Mm mm. <laughs> that cricket lives in that bucket now. <laughs> Do you think that your kids have your? This is a, a this is like a serious idea. I don't n- understand entirely where personalities come from, and I don't understand like how much genetics get transferred from the parent to the child. But there's certain traits that my middle daughter, my nine year old, has that are undeniably me. And like she's obsessed with things. Like she'll do. She we we were coming home from this. Uh, we we're staying at this resort, and we had to walk. You know, like maybe half a mile back to the the place where we we're staying. She did cartwheels the entire way. 
because she's obsessed with cartwheels. Like she'll do back handsprings in the middle of the house, and you got to tell her, like, you got to stop doing that. Like, stop. She's like, okay, okay, one more. And she's 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 fucking nuts. And I'm like, oh, that's me. That's me if I was a nine year old girl. Like, this is nuts. Yeah, that's it's weird. Me my, that's see. me with my bow and arrow. But it's not me. Like I told her to be like this. Like I've I've let her just be whoever she is. And my youngest daughter has none of that. She's not like that at all. But when your son is around you. And, you know, and obviously your brain is and your DNA is filled with hunting, like your knowledge, your experiences. How much how much of like what gets transferred from your DNA to your children is your experiences and your knowledge and what you've accumulated, all all the things that you've encountered in your life? I mean, how much does that transfer? I mean, it has to be some. They don't really know. Yeah, I wonder about it all the time. And and. I feel like I may have even mentioned this to you before. Is a, a, a lot of friends would say to me like, well, "What are you going to do if your kid doesn't like to, you know, hunt as much as you do?" And I often point out like, "Well, not many people do." Yeah. <laughs> so the he ones that be normal, the ones that do, I I know them all. You yeah. Know? And uh, so yeah, I, I'm open to the idea that that's true. That that would happen. It won't be upsetting to me. But in the case of my older one, he is just fascinated by it loves it okay that's what he wants to do um i don't know that maybe i subconsciously have treated my daughter differently and and my when we found out we're having a daughter my wife made it very clear she's like this is not going to be like a boys club the hunting and fishing stuff is not a boys club our daughter is in 100% equally, there was not, I'm, I'm on the lookout for you to like favor our son in this world and it's not going to fly. So I have tried very hard not to, but, but she's not as fired up as he is. Right. And I don't, am I subconsciously sending a message? I don't know. She's just not as fired up. So yeah, they're just different. One thing me and my wife have done really well is just let our kids do whatever they want to do. Like, what do you like? And just pursue that. Not try to push them into something that they like. Just try to figure out what you like. And I you know, try to explain to them what I do for a living, that I'm very fortunate that I just do what I like. And you can do that, but you have to pursue that like really early on. And it has to be a part of your brain. Like your, your, your mindset has to be like, what do I like to do? Well, I'm going to go do that. Not I'm going to do this safe thing that I don't really want to do because I know that maybe that'll pan out better. But no, just go figure out what it is you like to do and then pursue that and you'll be happier. Giannis, the other night you, we were going to go squidding, and my daughter bombed out. Were you there? Mm-hmm. And it made Gian, like you started having feelings about my daughters. Yeah, you're like, man, I'm real nervous about when that happens to me <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They do. Yeah, they're already doing it. But I don't know how we got to talk. Yeah, she did bail out, and for yeah. no reason she bailed out on the trip. Just didn't want to do it anymore. Just at the last minute, it's like I don't want to go. I'm like, that's, how old is she? That's like four. Yeah. I'm like, that's okay, sweetheart. You can come next time. Welcome me time, you know? And the, the, the idea that my boy would like bail, no way. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was, you know, this is something I've thought about many times. It's like, I would get a guilty conscience to not go when I was a kid. Really? Yeah. I felt bad. I felt like I would feel the sense of shame if everyone was going hunting or fishing and I didn't go with. Wow. <laughs> Guilt. Awesome. Even to the point where we would wake up very early to go out and sit in tree stands for deer. And my 
my bedroom was on the second floor and I'd be looking out on these, these oak trees are just like so close to the window. They'd almost like scrape the house. And I remember when your alarm would go off, I would look out kind of hoping to see that the trees were just whipping in the wind. Cause then I knew the old man would call it be like, not going to go. It's just, you know, way too windy. And I remember I would wake up and look and be like, ah, shit, it's not windy. Some days <laughs> we got to go. And I feel so bad for having that feeling. <laughs> it was like a guilt thing, yeah. but that was put into me because if, if you got caught, like if you, it'd be your ass, if you got caught watching TV, like if the old man like caught you watching TV, you're absolutely going to be put on a chore list to where he'd take like a legal pad and, and name chores till he hit the bottom of the legal pad. Really? Yeah. It was a lot of chores. You couldn't watch TV. If you got, well, if you got caught watching TV, he's going to hit you with the chore list. If you were, if you were out hunting and fishing, he was, that was the number one, that like, that's good. Every other thing I will make you go do chores. Wow. So I think it instilled that. I haven't tried that with my kids because it just seems a little bit like prone to backfire. But yeah, he, that's a lot but, of pressure. But he raised people to like to yeah. work for him. Um, get to, get to, uh, why is it hard to hit? Cause I'm asking you this because I feel like you're sort of a student of the mind, right? Why is it different to hit something living than it is to hit a target with a bow? That's the thing that people... Is that okay? Yeah, consequences. You understand the question. Yeah, obviously. it's uh, pressure. It's uh, the same thing as fighting. There's a lot of people that can fight um, in the gym. Like you get them in the gym and they're they're there with people that they know and they spar and they look like a world beater. But then you put them in a they competition, like a, a world beater, meaning they could beat everybody in the world. Gotcha. Like a world champ. It's a fight expression. Um, but you get them in an actual competition with some stranger. And, you know, the pressure of it is just too much. The pressure, they, they can't manage their mind. A lot of it is managing stress, consequences, possibilities, probabilities, and then m- managing the idea that there's going to be a, 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 the consequences of a failure and the, the, what, what could go wrong. You could get knocked out. You could get beat. You could get humiliated. And all those things are just overwhelming. They dwell on the negative so much they can't handle it. It's just a matter of m- being able to maintain a mindset under pressure and i think that all those things whatever you do whether it's live performance or you do a stand-up comedy show or you know archery or fighting it's like the the thing that they have in common is that there's expectations there's uh there's 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 high levels of stress and adrenaline and nerves and you have to be able to manage a mindset in the middle of those and that's a big thing when an animal comes out because one of the things like there's a parallel between playing pool. When you play pool, you should never think, I hope I don't miss this shot. Because yeah. if you do, you're going to fucking miss. You just are going to miss. You can't think that. You literally cannot think that. You mean like, let's see if I make it. Can't do it. You mean you might make it one out of 100. But I, I really believe that the vast majority of times, if you go into a shot with that mindset, you will miss. And this is like taught this way. In billiard academies, there's a, a mindset that's taught. Like it's just very similar to archery in that you have uh, fundamentals, you have technique and position. But then when you imagine and visualize that shot, you must visualize that shot going in. The perfect hit, follow through, and just go through with it. But there's all like, oh, don't fuck this up. Oh, it's going to screw it up. There's all these nerves that come in, and you have to learn how to manage that mindset. 
It's the same thing with bow hunting. With bow hunting, I remember the, the first time I, uh, I shot an animal with a bow, it's like the, the consequences are so grave. You know, you've got this razor-sharp broadhead, you're pulling the bow back, you're centering the pin, you're looking at it, you're like, when am I going to do this? Am I going to do this now? Like, what if I miss? What if I fuck this up? Like, what if there's all these things you have to go, no, 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 just go through your checklist, center your peep. Make sure you have your anchor points in place. Make sure your hand's not gripping it in a death grip. You got to go through this whole line of thing. There's a great website called Iron Mind Hunting with this guy, Joel Turner. He's a uh, sniping, uh, a sniper instructor. Oh, you know what? My buddy, yeah. Matt Elliott, was just telling me about this and trying yeah. and talking to me and Yanni about going to meeting with this guy or going to do something with this guy. I'm sure it's, it's got to be the same guy. It's got to be the same guy. You should do a podcast with him. He's great. <clears throat> he does a lot of podcasts, but... He's got a whole uh, website that'll take you through, like, because, you know, he he trains people that are, you know, fucking clearing buildings and shit. He, he, tra- he trains people that are first responders. He trains a lot of police force people. And it's about being able to stay calm under pressure and the difference between closed loop systems and open loop systems in the mind. Meaning that, you know, you, you could you got to be able to stop it at any time. You can't like like a bat. Like you start swinging a bat, the ball's coming. You're not going to stop that in the middle, right? But yeah. when you draw back a bow, you, it has to be conscious. You have to be able to go. You have to be able to let down. You have to be able to know like when the shot is bad, when it's not breaking, and you got to be able to execute to to the point where you're really legitimately getting. And a that's closed shot. or open? I don't understand. I forget which one it is. I, I totally get what you're saying, but I yeah. still know the. I think it's open. It's I open. To, it's open, open to. Uh, it's open to to, to yeah being changed. Yes. or interrupted. Yeah, I think it's open loop. I think that. I hope I don't fuck this up. Look, see, Jamie, see if you look that up. The difference between open loop and closed loop systems. So, so the first time it happened to you, were you able to maintain? Yes, luckily. Yeah, but yeah, but I recognize like, oh boy, okay, there's a lot, lot to think about here. But you were how on. old? You were forty-five, yeah. right? So I was, yeah, I was old enough so that I was like. I'd gone through a lot of other shit before that was difficult. But then I recognized, like, oh, great. Welcome to my next obsession because now I'm fucking balls yeah. deep in this. I just get so obsessed with it. I remember getting, like, getting it narrowed down to, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I feel like it's a little bit of, a, like, a luxury to do it at a, <laughs> at, when you're older because you have more control yeah. over your mind. Oh, for at sure. At 14, when I shot my first deer, it was with a shotgun, not a bow. Actually, I think a couple days beforehand, I had missed a doe with my bow. And it was, I mean, the arrow had fallen off of my rest. I was shaking so bad. Like, literally, it had hit the ground, you know, the leaves. And I put it back in there and shot. And don't remember anything about that moment. It was just like, there, no, it was like went over her back. I mean, and, but the same thing two days later with, my, with the shotgun. It was sort of just like, oh, my God, there's a deer. Bang, bang, bang. And it, wow, it's, it's on the ground dead. Like, as a kid... I don't know. I feel like I was probably closer to 20, you know, five years later until I was finally like, oh, starting to think like you are, you know, when you're like, oh, here's the moment when shit starts to get crazy and I need to pull back in, yeah. in and start to think through the process. My early rig that I started and I, I missed my first deer with a bow when I was, I remember I missed it one year before you were allowed to hunt. I missed my first deer with a bow when I was 11. And the bow I was using was, it was a compound, but it just had a stick on, you remember flipper rests? Yeah. It's like a little wire on an adhesive pad that you would stick to the riser of the bow, and that was your rest. Mm-hmm. We shot with finger tabs. 
no pins. So just like shooting instinctive with fingers, but basically you're shooting like a recurve, but it has to be a compound. Some guys still do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over 
to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. It's, yeah, it'd be like, it's a great compromise, you know? Yeah, I heard a good argument for it. The guy was saying, like, think about how much more flat a compound bow shoots than a recurve. Like, if you just have the same weight arrow all the time and just get used to it, like, you're, you're going to have a pretty good sense of where that thing's going to go based on just, you know, like, the same way you have a feeling if you throw a ball where that ball's going to go. Yeah, right. surprised because, like, now it's like people either, they go to the extremes, you know? You see, like, people are like, okay, I'm done with all this tech. I'm done with the technology. I'm just going stick bow. Yeah. But, yeah, you can all, yeah, the, the stripped-down compound. But I got to be where, you know, when I would shoot at a deer with my bow, after a while I got to be where I kind of knew what was going to happen. But you're talking about you're in a, on a platform in a tree, and your shot's 20 yards or less from the base of the tree. But I got to be where it wasn't, I wasn't Hail Marion. But then when I started encountering elk with a bow, everything came undone. <laughs> even, even not even, even cows. <laughs> Screaming. Yeah. And but even cows. Oh, really? Just because they're so big? Just big and you're on the ground. I think being on the ground with them. Yeah. And they're so big. They're and they so make big. so much noise <laughs> coming through the woods, the noise they make. I remember being with a, I remember being with a girlfriend of mine and we were, had some elk feeding up a hill and, and I had already tagged out, but she was hunting and these elk are coming up and this bull eventually comes up easy shot he's got an erection he's screaming she never even pulled her bow back and that elk stood there stood there and walked off and she just looks at me look in her face like holy shit and never even like thought to draw the bow wow but i had a similar thing and i remember i couldn't get i'd get the shot opportunities and blow them the first handful of them i'd blow them and when i was reviewing my mind i'm like i cannot remember shooting and I eventually forced myself, like our old man, he used to put these stickers on the limb of, on the riser of our bowl that said, stay calm, pick a spot. Not that you're going to remember to look at the sticker, but you just like help like getting that in your head. I remember getting to be with, if I can remember one thing when I pull back, if I can get myself to think of one thing and I got in my head, like lift your elbow, lift your elbow. Because I knew that if I thought to lift my elbow, all the other stuff would fall in place. Mm. And the first bull I killed, I was going down a hill and I could see a cow bedded down in front of me. And I'm like, well, shit, now I'm stuck. And I knew the bull was down lower, but I couldn't move. And eventually that bull came up to her, pulled back. I remember it was the first time I ever had him. I'm like, lift your elbow. Just lift your elbow. And boom, through the heart. Took two steps and fell over. I thought I was hallucinating. <laughs> I was like, something must be wrong with me because I swear I just hit that bull and it fell over dead. Like, you better like check my vitals. It just, it just took one conscious act and not just the, but like, just stop just for a second because this know? is a normal thing for you, right? This hunting experience is a normal thing for you. Imagine the average person who works in a cubicle, who drives in traffic, who deals with nonsense, corporate office bullshit and human resources. Imagine that experience, how alien that is the intense pressure of the moment all the the stuff running through your head trying to manage the adrenaline executing the shot the average person has no connection to that experience but i wonder like if having no connection to it where could it be that if you don't care it's not scary yes well it won't be as nerve-wracking if you don't care for sure yeah. You don't want it. That's what my brother. Well, you're gonna care. My older brother. What he, what he dislikes about when he messes something up is he's like, I hate that I'm so susceptible to lust. 
Like I lost. I, I want that bowl so yeah. bad. Yeah. So bad that something like some weird like synapses system falls apart and I can't get it. It's like I just need to control the lust. He well, if, he, if he could want it a little less, he would do better. That's the know? same thing with fighting, though. You have to be able to. You have to be able to be zen in the moment and manage all the pressure. That's what it is. It's the pressure. Like you want it so bad that you're you're out of composure. You're not. You're not composed. You're not together in that situation. So it is. Do you feel like getting? Um, do you feel like your experience fighting? change how you were to look at it that you'd been just hitting the face a bunch and had like just dealt with sort of fear and and performance i think it helps for sure i'm used to being nervous like i've been nervous at everything so like i, I know how to handle this i know <laughs> what nerves are do you still get nervous walking out to do in front of a big audience yeah yeah i still get a little nervous but could you this is another question I like when I think about this, when you're talking about the consequences thing. Can you stand in front of a mirror and do your act? No, I don't do that. Because there's no consequences. Yeah, well, it's just not, not beneficial. There's nothing good oh, about so, that. So it's not that, it's, it's not that it feels awkward. It's just gross. Staring at yourself, talking, it'd just be too weird. It'd be too, like, I'd be too, too uh, aware of how goofy it is to stand in front of a mirror <laughs> and practice. You get the comedy is a weird thing that you kind of have to practice it in front of an audience. It's really the only way it goes. I write solitary, I write solo, and then, uh, but it basically the writing is almost like just a framework, scaffolding, and then I just go on stage with those ideas, and I have to flesh them out in front of a live crowd. When you when you write comedy, do you are you writing how when I imagine someone who deals in the written word? writes like are you sitting there writing or is it just that you're always writing because it's in your head no i sit down and write i sit down on a what on a laptop i have a program called and you write out like dialogue yeah yeah well most of the time i write out like essay form and then i extract bits from it you ever heard of write room do you know what write room no it's pretty cool it's a uh it's a software that blacks out everything doesn't give you access to your you don't have access oh, yeah i'm oh, sorry i do know about this yeah. so it's black and then the the print is green like the terminator like the matrix type shit and um i like that because it gives me this uh complete so- there's a version of it for windows too which i occasionally use occasionally i use windows but um what i do is i write everything as like an essay and then once I'm done writing it as an essay, then I go over it and I try to figure out, okay, where are the um, here, let me open up where someone here. Where are the where are the bits in here? But you're writing it to yourself. I'm just writing. You know? So this is what it looks like. Yeah. And what's the program called? It's called Write Room. Hmm. How long how much time goes by? Between when you first have, like, you're driving around or whatever, and you go like, oh, that's funny, the thing that just passed through my mind. How much time does it take from that for that to become a joke? For that to become a thing that is delivered to an audience? Sometimes it's instant. Sometimes I'll have an idea, and it's almost like a done bit. Like, I'll go on stage with it, and it requires very little tweaking. It's like it's there. I just know I have the idea. I had this whole, you've seen that bit, that bit that I used to do about vegans. Uh, this like whole long bit about vegans about how be- vegans always like to say 
humans are the only animal that drink the milk of another animal. I'm like, yeah, you know what else only people do? Fly planes, yeah. make movies, call each other on the phone, tell each other how awesome milk is. Like, what kind of <laughs> stupid fucking point is that? <clears throat> and that bit all this it was a long chunk and it all came out of like one conversation that i had with this one proselytizing vegan i was like this is such an annoying conversation like you haven't done both sides of this conversation you haven't done the response like how would other people look at this like you've just got this idea in your head that everybody thinks like you and you're going to push this thought through and that bit came out like literally i wrote it on a plane and it lit it went from the laptop to being on Comedy Central, all in the same form. But does it always have to pass through the laptop? The, the laptop is not required. Sometimes I'll have an idea that never hits the laptop. And then I just I bring it up on stage. and I, like <clears throat> and I'll bring it up on stage and I'll start working with it. And then I'll tweak it on stage. And then, But I always have to write it out on top of it too this is, over the last three years i've modern i've uh, modified my technique and one of the things that i've realized is that the best way to to really refine the bits is to do them and then once i'm doing them even if they work on stage then i take them and i sit alone with them with the laptop and i rewrite them and I'll rewrite them from like two different angles. I'll, I'll say, okay, well, I know we're going to come at it from this way. Let's come at it from another way. Let's go. We already got this bit. We got this. The premise is already locked down in this form. It's already functional. But let's, let's see what happens if we come at it from this way. Let's see what happens if we come at it from that way. And then um, sometimes I'll take a little piece of that and I'll take a piece away from the other one. And I'll go, this piece fits better there. And it's a constant bloody struggle of like editing and observing and just trying to be objective and going back and trying it again and trying it soft, trying it hard, trying it slow, trying it fast. You got to figure out where where it works. There's a thing you do. Uh, you got to be aware of it, where you bait your audience into. <laughs> like, let's just say, let's say you decide to for a minute hack on you're gonna hack on like republicans <laughs> not, not that you you know you don't do like a republican bit but let's just say you're gonna hack on republicans for a minute and you get like a certain segment of your crowd kind of like they're loving it they love hearing this shit but then you're gonna turn around and like very quickly flip something and attack the exact opposite yeah and i feel like and i've seen you a couple times where i feel like you almost throw out like a false bait um, when you used to have, you used to have a, you, you throw out a false bait and it gets like some guys in the crowd ready to go. Like, they're like, oh, I can't wait for coming next. He's going to attack the thing that's most annoying to me in life. But then you just like pounce and go the other direction and just annihilate the idea that you're hope that they're hoping you're going to yeah pursue. Do you keep in mind the balance? Oh, yeah. You have to. Like, you I'm going to dog on guys, then I'm yeah. going to dog on ladies. Yeah, but you got to go. <laughs> first of all, because I'm a guy and because of the type of guy that I am, I have to go hard on guys first. Like, over the top. Where there can be <laughs> no doubt at all that I've, I've just covered. How much you loathe guys. <laughs> yeah, every fucked up thing about being a man has to be just beaten down, exposed, <laughs> even exaggerated. And then you can move on to the ladies. You're like, and now ladies. Yeah, but you have to have, I mean, you see my new set when I was in Seattle. So I've, I've got this whole chunk that I'm doing on that. 
you know, about this team thing that people do where they just, they only, you know, like, like people get real tribal, like women want to stick up. Like there's a lot of women that, like I had conversations with women where they failed to recognize that Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate for president. Yeah. Like they failed to recognize it because they wanted a woman in there so bad. And I'm like, that is so tribal. I'm like, this woman, first of all, doesn't care about you. She didn't support gay marriage until 2013. She's a fucking politician. She's as dirty as they come. She did these speeches for bankers, which she's paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, won't release the transcripts. And, you know, the, it's like there's so much. The Clinton Foundation is dirty to the core. There's so much about her that's compromised. And people are like, I don't care. I want a woman. I want a woman. I'm like, that woman? This one? This is a terrible one. I got, I got the admission you're after. Or not the you specifically after. But I got an admission like this out of a friend of mine. Where we're talking about the, the the Russia meddling issue, and I and just how you know just what needs to happen. And this is you know un, unprecedented, and I was saying so. Let's let's look at this for a minute. That let's say Hillary Clinton won, and it later emerged that Huma Abedin had gotten an email from some suspicious source saying, "Hey, I got some real dope on your opponent. Um, would you like to hear it?" And she says, oh, yeah, sure, I'd like to hear that. And they got it. Would you now be saying that Hillary Clinton should resign? Well, no. Okay. Oh, it's like, <laughs> yes. So you agree that you're using, you're, you're pretending to be outraged about something because it serves your ends. Like that we just, we live now in a pretend outrage world. Everything is just us pretending to be more upset about shit than we actually are. Well, people get... I almost did it today. People There's something I'm upset about, upset. and I was trying to... I was like, I guess I should probably pretend to care more <laughs> in order to frame the kind of argument that that people are after. People do get upset, but I think one of the reasons why they get upset is because there's no real consequences in life. Like the, the real, the the actual day to day struggle is so far removed from the primal world in which we evolved that our day to day differences about ideologies and about left versus right or man versus woman or whatever, they're so they're almost me. It's like petty. Yeah, they're petty. They don't they don't carry any real weight. You know, so this man versus woman thing. Look, all presidents suck. We've never had a single president that didn't suck. It's a terrible job. It's a job that would be great if there was a hundred of us. But the idea that one king monkey is going to run <laughs> 320 million people is just bananas. It doesn't make any sense. So whether it's Hillary Clinton or whether it's... And then the idea of two parties, that's ridiculous too. And anybody who doesn't want to agree to that, like, come on, man, you don't see that scam? We have a left versus a right, that's it? There's no room for nuance? What about a third party, a fourth, fifth? No one takes those seriously. We just we have a weird sort of monopoly between these two very prominent parties. I think that the people that do get upset about this stuff and the people that do get locked in, I don't even think they know what they're doing. I think they're acting on like ancient reward systems that like want to protect the veracity of their tribe. And anything that's against their tribe, they dismiss. Oh, like what was going on with Fox News when all the Russia stuff was going on? All they wanted to talk about was Hillary Clinton's emails. Uh, that's all anybody wanted to talk about. Well, well Hillary Clinton deleted 30,000 when the grab the pussy tape came out. It was Hillary Clinton and her emails. Like They didn't even spend a moment on the idea that you are setting an example for all of the human beings. In this country. The, the president sets a tone. Do we really want to say that we're okay with a president of the United States, the commander of the military, 
that is the greatest army the world has ever known. This guy is okay with saying, you can grab him by a pussy. I was trying to kiss this girl. I moved on her like a bitch. I always have gum on me because I always want to have my breath because I just kiss. I just kiss. I can't help myself. Like, sounds like a fucking maniac. Right? Yeah, he would argue he was doing stand-up. Well, he probably was. He probably was. I mean, that's, that is a really good... Look, there's a real good argument for having something like that being a, a massive violation of privacy and should be punishable by some sort of an extreme way yeah i remember you joking before that why is everybody not super mad at bob marley for saying he's gonna shot the, she the went out and shot the damn sheriff <laughs> people aren't mad at him yeah 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 that was uh yeah it was another bit that i used to do yeah this these ideas i think um People get so wrapped up in their we, – we have these weird patterns, you know, and we're very tribal in our defense of our, our patterns, you know, and I think that's what you're seeing with left versus right. I think you see that with hunters versus vegans too. Yeah. I mean I've got a, a bit in my act where I'm like there's vegans that are vegans because they really care and they don't want animals to die. And then there's vegans who are really only vegans because Scientology didn't find them first. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And these dumb motherfuckers could have joined the Taliban if they took the wrong exit. They're stupid. They, they, they just found a group that'll take them in, and now they have vegan in their screen name, and they'll, you know, they'll attack. Well, the thing I like uh, most about vegans, or maybe it's least, I can't decide. <laughs> and, and I don't, you know, I, I don't like to, 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 like you're saying, you know, I don't like try to put them all in the same box. But it's such a radical departure from norms. Yeah. Right? So it, it, it's like you're engaged in this, you have this belief system that's just really, I mean, it's radical from any perspective. Yeah. Historically, right? Like contemporary, it's just a really unusual, uh, statistically like a really unusual way to eat. But then the way they act so just dumbfounded by the fact that there are people that aren't engaged in it. It'd be like, you know, it, just if you got interested in, it'd be like you all of a sudden get interested in shooting pool and you're just so angry at everybody that doesn't. <laughs> and you want to be like, but most people don't shoot pool. Yeah. Why, when you run into a non-pool shooter, why are you so pissed at them? It's like you're you're talking about something that just like is kind of like brand spanking new. Yeah, and people are super selective about their outrage. Like a vegan has to drive down the street, and almost every gas station you look at has Slim Jims. Every McDonald's got dead cows in it. Everywhere you go, you're just looking at meat. But then they'll find some guy with a rack, uh, you know, in his truck, like some guy with a, with a dead deer, and they'll just this is a fucking outrage. Yeah, they you know, freak you, know why, out. you know why that is? Because they like when people like like people that don't like hunting but they eat meat. I think that they feel that the only way to responsibly eat meat is to have this vague sense of guilt. Yeah. Like, it comes with shame. But the minute there's some dude who's like, I, oh, yeah, I eat meat. And uh, I'm eating this thing right here. And this thing makes me real happy. I'm glad I got it. I'm not going to eat it. I love this animal. I love where it lived. I like everything about this whole damn thing. This is very exciting to me. People are like, well, I would appreciate it if you felt some sense of like not knowingness and a little guilt and a little more uneasiness. Like don't engage in this thing and like it. That's yeah. why they're pissed. Cause you're, you're like, you're, you're sort of going like, yep, everything about this picture feels right to me. And that is annoying to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. But like people are going to McDonald's and they got this guy, you know, I really shouldn't eat McDonald's so much. And geez, you know, uh, really know like how are these animals taken care of like that's sort of like this thing but then when you get like real happy about the meat 
It's off-putting. There's another thing that people do that I've been talking about a lot lately, and it's uh, vegans who have pets, and they feed their pets animals. No, this, this, is the, this is one of the best parts of your bit. When you're the cat, <laughs> Joe doing the cat who's looking out the window at a bird and remembering old, old buried feelings. <laughs> but that's... I mean, there is something fucked up about people that can sort of departmentalize like that. They can they can compartmentalize their ideas and just like it's like, this is just cat food. This is just cat food. Just pour it in there. It's okay. No, it's a fucking chicken. That chicken was in a cage and it got shoved into a no, machine. It's dozens of chickens. Yeah, and they ground it's it down. Little bits of dozens of chickens. And they made little stars out of it. Like this is not karma free. Like this is crazy. Yeah, but people are like acting like oh my cat's vegan. Like they're proud of it. Like. You know, you could lock someone in a room too and be like, you know what's cool about that person? They never want to go outside. <laughs> it's true. It's I mean, I look I think there's an, an also there's an issue that a lot of people have that aren't involved in hunting. And I think when you look at the the general population, what is the numbers? Like ninety seven percent eat meat? Something along those lines? Oh, man, I've never looked it up. I don't know. That. I think it's pretty crazy high. It's something in the range of You know, I have looked it up, I can't remember what I found. What percentage are engaged in the death of that animal? Is it even 10? It's probably not even 10. No, it's just way less than that. 5? 5%? Maybe. Right? You mean Depending more like you what percentage of people, I guess you could say like what percentage of people work in the, so you'd be saying the, the, meat, the, the processing and agricultural sectors. Even that, yeah, that or hunting. Or like say that what percentage of people are involved in the actual death of the animal that they consume? It's so insignificant. It's so small. But if you think about the past, all of human past, the connection was almost immediate. Like almost every person had some sort of an immediate connection to the fish that came out of the river or the cow that they slaughtered or the deer that they hunted. All that stuff was like immediate, and so it was natural, and everybody understood it. By, by separating people almost unanimously from the meat and from the, the death of the animal, like the connection to it is, is so vague. It doesn't even make sense to people. It doesn't make sense that you'd shoot an animal. Meanwhile, they're cut. My wife was having dinner with some friends, and uh, one of the, the guys was English, and um, I was on an elk hunt. And uh, and they were like, well, where's your husband? It's like, oh, he's hunting. And the guy's cutting into his steak. He's like, that's deplorable. Oh, he really? hunts? That's deplorable. She goes, you're eating a fucking steak. Like, where did you, what, do you, what did this grow off a steak tree? Like, what are you talking about? Like, he, he eats that. You're eating it. Like, is it okay that you killed it with your credit card? But it's not okay that someone does it with a bow and arrow? Like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, this is, you've got some weird mental if blocks. People were, if people were honest, they would say, yes, I can't explain why, but that's what I'm saying. Yes, but that's not a tenable argument. No, it's not. It's just not. And what they, they lo people love recreational outrage. They love to be able to be upset about things. That's a good, I'm going to steal that word. Did you make that up? Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> recreational. <laughs> people yeah. have attributed it to me. I might have heard it from somebody else, but I say it so much, I almost own it now. But anybody can yes. have it. Recreational outrage is what it is. It's like they've decided this, instead of going... <laughs> also known as Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Instead of saying, yeah, this is kind of weird that I eat steak and then I have a problem with someone killing a wild animal. Like, Tell Thinking me like, about it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 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 So here's another weird thing. I've had people say, I like that you do it with a bow and arrow. I think oh, rifle hunting's for pussies, but I like the fact that you do it with a bow and arrow. It seems to give the animal more of a chance. And I go, okay, honestly, it's better to do it with a rifle. I'm like, it's smarter. I'm like, if you do it with a rifle, you, you have a higher higher percentage of kills. 
you're a higher percentage of success, more opportunities. Like if it's you just, gonna, and it's going to yeah. die a little quicker. Yeah, if you're going to do it ethically, I mean, it's gonna. It's like a rifle is a really good way to go. Like why? Why does that, why does someone think it's too easy? Like oh, it's too easy. Like I could get a hunter thinking that. Like I, I enjoy a more intense challenge. You know, like I'm tired of tapping out blue belts. I only want to spar with black belts now. I want. I need a more intense challenge to excite me. Which is weird for people. Like, wait a minute. Are you trying to hunt for food or are you playing a game? Like, what are you doing here? Which, which one of these? Well, it's kind of both. Definitely both. Yeah, it's definitely both. But people don't want to hear that. Mm-mm. Nobody wants to hear that. Well, you get off on this? Do you get off on this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. I mean, look, when I, I was in Utah, we did this uh, Under Armour film. Um, that's going to be released this Friday, and I shot this giant herd bull. It was it was amazing. It was the craziest experience. This bull had like thirty, forty cows. He had um, herded them all into this one area, and then one cow took off, and he followed this cow. And he's like, "Get back here! Come on, get back here!" She's like, "Fuck you! I'm I'm find someone else. You got too many women." And she takes off, and he had to follow after her. And so he brings all of his cows to follow after her, and we went and followed after her too. And so as we were coming over the hill, there were some other bulls that had been bugling behind us. He thought that we were those other bulls, so he came back around, and that's how I got him. And this whole thing was like... He I heard was, you guys yeah, crunching. He heard yeah. us walking, so he came about, and then he went around us to try to catch our wind. And But I was at full draw with like eight yards. It was like a, a bunch of bushes and a trees, but I was at full yard, and these... He's huge. I'm looking at his antlers. He's standing there. He's like, he's like just looking around and I see him right there. And the, the thrill of it all, it's so insane. And then to have him go down the hill and then come back around. And then he's in a gap at like 32 yards in between these two trees. There's like a two foot gap. And I punched that arrow straight through the heart. It was a perfect shot. And he, he walked like 15, 20 yards and just starts wobbling and then just drops. If that's not thrilling, if you want me to say that, that I didn't enjoy that. I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed it. It was exciting. It was crazy. I love the meat. It's the best tasting meat. I love the idea of getting meat that way. I love the fact that I'm not dealing with factory farming or hormones or antibiotics or tortured animals. I'm dealing with a wild animal that thought some other wild animal was going to come and bang his chicks. And he was like, fuck that. I'm here to protect my girls. And he came back around and I got him. And I think if you took any vegan whoever through that same experience and just held them by the hand and were just there they didn't have to try to shoot the animal but just held them by the hand and let them experience all that they'd have a very hard time looking you in the eye and saying that wasn't thrilling at all well you were an elk guide for a long time and one of the things that i was saying to these people in in utah i was saying have you guys ever thought about taking people out that have no desire to hunt and just dress them up in camo and sneaking them into the rut just get, just get in there. Just while while it's happening, watch how crazy it is. It's, yeah, so it's a little thrilling. bit different there than if you watch it on Blue, Blue Planet. Or, oh, or it's so nature. much different. It's so much yeah. different. I mean, we were we were sev- we we crawled. I mean, by crawled, like tiptoed, like real slow through the woods for about. 35 45 minutes till we got to this uh these trees that were the edge of this creek where these uh these elk were all funneling through and we were super close like inside of 20 yards of some of these some of these um cows and you know some of them would like look at us and stare at us and we're totally frozen and we're not moving and then they went back to their shit and start doing things and doing 
elk things, but we were in the heat of this. And I was like, this is so exciting. Like, even if I, we don't even shoot an elk, like you're surrounded by like 20, 30 elk in their world. And they don't even know you're there. You get to see them be elk. I'm like, this would be a f- exciting thing just to take people and just tell them how to like walk real slow. And we're going to get you in the middle of this crazy activity. What we saw them rutting. We saw this one bull elk t- like literally tackle this cow. He got on top of her and he hits her one time, breeds her and like sends her flying, like sends her flying forward on her, on her, her, her hind legs. And we're like, this is crazy. You're right here. You're right here watching this. But I think a lot of people would come out of that experience and they wouldn't be like, and now I want to go run an arrow through one. I agree with you. Yeah, for I, sure. I think a lot of people would have a real hard time watching that animal stumble, watching the blood pull out both sides of its body through its vitals and watching them drop over. To me, I was like, look, he's not going to live forever. He's going to get eaten by mountain lions or wolves or whatever else bears, whatever else comes along and catches him when he's weak. He's probably eight and a half, nine years old. If he's super lucky, he's got two years yeah, left. He's in the autumn of his yeah. life. If he's super lucky, he's got but, two you know, years left. But that, you know, I wouldn't go and say that there's like an old man walking on the side of the road that, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter if you run him over. I mean, no. he's an old guy. <laughs> you know? That's true. No, it's true. It's, but the, uh, the old guy on the side of the road is not going to get attacked by a mountain lion anytime soon. Hopefully. Yeah. This animal for sure is. I mean, that's their demise. Their demise is freeze to death, starvation, predatory. You know, there's, they have three options. Yeah, it's not hospice. It's, yeah, arrows are way better than all those other options. It's hard to, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to get into the, the, it's a mental trap, but you try to get into the animal's mind. I think that's where, where it winds up being tricky when talking to people who like to bow hunt. I was having this conversation with April Volke where we're talking about bow hunting. She's talking about just like, seems more ethical to bow hunt. And, um, and I'm like, well, it just winds up like, like you brought up earlier. It's really tricky because from whose perspective, right? The animal doesn't care. Yeah. At all. I had a, like a, a animal rights, I, I interviewed an animal rights activist and had him explain. He's like, the animal doesn't care. The animal doesn't care that you have these like high minded ideals about wildlife conservation and preservation and the, the you respect it and are going to utilize it all. It's dead. The same way that if someone's going to come and, and, and shoot you, you're probably not really going to like weigh out what were the motivations of the person that shot you. You're like, oh, with all that considered, I'm glad I was murdered. Yeah. That's his, that's his way of looking at it. That's a way of looking at it, too. But Did I tell you about speciesism? Have I talked about oh, this? Oh, I know about that. I'm a speciesist. There's a fucking thing that a meme that someone made where it's, it's got like Hitler is like a racist and all that. And then it comes to me and I've got a, a moose leg the on my speciesist. shoulder. It's a speciesist. Yeah. It's a good concept. Yeah. Well, have, have you had any, uh, has anything, have you learned things or had thoughts or seen things in hunting that have gone and, and, and made their way into your stand up? Like, would, would your vegan bit exist if you hadn't started dabbling in hunting? Was that already Probably an, an annoyance? You know, I told you before we went on that trip that I was having some real concerns about factory farming. I'd watched way too many of those PETA videos. I'd seen a bunch of them. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, how am I eating this food that's being raised like this? Because I think the ag-gag laws that we have, the agriculture gag, but people don't know, those, uh, there's laws that prevent people from filming inside of these horrific factory farm uh, warehouses where they have these 
pigs and cows and chickens just stuffed into these really confined areas. I mean, illegal for them to do it even yes. if the manager of the slaughter facility wanted to let them? No. No, I think it's undercover filming. Okay. I think that's what it, it mostly is, it involves activists. Like releasing undercover. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that you're not allowed to show people because it could harm the business. Yeah. You know, which is just crazy. So like it's, it harms the business because most people are not aware of how horrific these conditions are. And uh, I had gotten down too many rabbit holes and I'd, I'd watched too many of those videos. And I was like, this is just a crazy thing that people have accepted because they're completely insulated from it. You just go to Morton's and you order the ribeye and it comes out and you're like, oh, that looks good. And you start digging in. You don't think about what happened to that animal up until that point. Well, I had started thinking about it. So I had made this sort of decision before I went with you uh, that I was either going to be a vegan or a vegetarian or I was going to become a hunter. I was like, I've got to figure out one of these things because this is just, I can't just keep ignoring the fact that I know how these animals live. And then when, um, I told you when, as soon as that, that deer dropped, I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I was like, this is just too exciting. This is amazing. And then when we're eating it, we're eating it over the fire. To this day, that's one of my happiest memories. Like you and me and Callan and Callahan are just cutting up that meat and doty. We're eating it over the fire. I'm like, this is one of the, my best memories. Guilt-free eating. It was 100% guilt-free. I mean, I, uh, I didn't, it was definitely a sense of loss. I mean, you guys captured that really good. You got in my face. Like when I shot the deer and I was like, whoa, Whew. here we go. He's That's dead. one of my favorite meteor moments of all time. Zero reaction there. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was intense. When when I originally talked to you years ago now about going on a hunting trip and we were we were like kicking around various ideas, you were reluctant to you were reluctant to go hunt bears. Yeah. But then later did a bear hunt. What uh what went on in your mind around those ideas? Like what do you think it was? Um well I didn't think that you eat, you ate bears. And then I realized you do. And then so the idea of any, eating a bear was kind of alien to me. It's like, hmm, I can't yeah. be that good. But deer are good. I like venison. So you just you could just like picture it really well. Yeah. And also bears are just too much like dogs. Like they're too canine. It's like there's too much about them. And uh, I have gone on bear hunts, but the reality is I do not enjoy it the same way I enjoy elk hunting or deer hunting. Because you like elk meat. Yeah, because I like elk meat and I like the idea that they are they're you know, there's predators and then there's prey. And although bears are omnivorous, they're they're essentially predators. Whereas the deer, they're prey. I mean, and you can you can even eat them raw. Like you got trichinosis. So that that trichinosis thing freaks me out. Yeah. Like all the weird pathogens and parasites and shit that these bears can get that freaks me out too but it's just i don't feel the same way about they react differently when you hit them like when they get hit they literally try to attack the area that that got like an arrow goes through them. they go and they try to like go back and get it and they they moan they fight death in a different way it's like everything about them is different and there's just um they're too close to like what we are you know, I'll eat them. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, if you have some bear sausage, I'll definitely eat it. And if, you know, we're out on a bear hunt, I'll do But the reaction that people have to bears, too, is another thing that keeps you... Like, if you put up a picture of a dead bear, people blow their fucking gaskets. Yeah. They go crazy. People have a real hard time with dead bears. Even but, but, you, you, but would that... Uh, would you allow that to influence your... Like, I, are you like, oh, you know, I, I would put this picture up uh, on social media, but I'm not going to because it's too upsetting to people. 
I kind of stopped putting dead animals on social media because it's just too just stoking the flames. Yeah, too confusing for people. I'll put up pictures of me hunting. I'll put up meat. I'll put up, but you know, and like some hunters will give me a hard time. Like our friends, put up the kill shot. Put up the kill. Why don't you put up the dead animal? Because I don't like, feel like yeah, it. Yeah, like I think it's con- too confusing. You know, people just look at it like, oh, trophy, you're a trophy hunter, you're killing this animal for that. But if you just have the meat, like, nobody gets mad. Very few people get mad at me when I cook, like, some elk and I'll put a picture of it on Instagram. Like, I'll have, uh, you know, one out of uh, four or five hundred comments would be shitty. But those are like those proselytizing vegans with, like, vegan warrior princess in their screen name, and they're just going to attack. <laughs> anything that's just who they are you know but that that that's a that's a there's a notion out there about trophy hunting that i just like absolutely reject is this idea that if if i'm going out and and i'm hunting and i kill a buck and i eat the buck and i like the buck a lot and i'm real happy about it and i keep its antlers that somehow the idea that it would have been more pure had I discarded a portion of it, the antlers, yeah, and just like, got the meat, yeah. it's like, well, no, I'm sorry, I like this whole thing, yeah, I like to be able to eat it. I also like to have these antlers around to because I think they're cool looking, and I remember it by it, and I just like them, and this whole thing is important to me, and you enjoy the but, experience. But, but, but people like somehow this like this symbolic gesture that you'd be like. My motivations are so pure, I will discard these antlers, lest anyone think that I cared about antlers. But you have to have the time to explain what you just did every time. Like Joe's saying, you just like you're just taking it out, you know, so it doesn't blow up into something. I think you're doing it it does help the greater good, I think, just to be keeping doing the the meat photos and stuff like that, because you're probably bringing more you're moving that needle to, you know, a pro hunting place as opposed to that one grip and grin is moving it the other direction yeah but yeah. i don't think I, I don't think of every action i take as being engaged in some rhetorical battle mm. no but i think for for joe it's just like a waste of time right eventually you're just like it's do, just do you create, really have to you create conflict yeah. yeah i want to tell you about an american-made success story and black buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches black buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use black buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip but they understand the convenience and discretion modern day consumers are looking for black buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded 
by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. A friend of ours once passed along an image. Hang on, never mind. Talk about confusing. I'm not going to talk about this image, but (laughs) I am going to talk about this. Mo, who you know. Yeah, I love Mo. Was, you were talking about a bear's response, like just bears being different. Mo, I believe he's in Columbia with some uh, like indigenous hunters and they shot a monkey with a blow dart. I could be messing this up. I don't think I am. And he described the monkey reaching around to grab at the dart. I think this was Mo telling me Yeah, this. I remember you told me this. I yeah. want to take the name out because I'm messing the story up. But that really struck him. Yeah. Of the thing that like there is this sort of difference. And I oftentimes try to reject it. The idea that that we should that that if you have a sustainable population of black bears, and you have a team of wildlife professionals or biologists who are able to look and, and have a management objective for the bears and realize that there's a harvestable surplus of animals, meaning you could have a bear of an X number of bears, and that every year you could harvest some percentage or kill some percentage of those bears, and the next year have the same number of bears again. Because the landscape has a carrying capacity that it's going to maintain. And you can remove some animals and that number is probably going to stay the same. Because 
if you were not to remove those numbers, you would see a, a similar effect from starvation, territoriality, you know, bears killing other bears to defend territory. And so there was you know, the term like a harvestable surplus. So I'm like, if you agree with these concepts, it shouldn't matter if we're talking about bears or deer. But right. it's in people's heads. We were one time with one of the guys we work with, and we're looking at a, a wolverine scavenging a moose carcass. And we didn't even go after it, but someone observed that in this unit we were in, you were allowed a wolverine. And because of the way the tag system works, um, that we one of us could have legally gone after the wolverine. And he's like, well, I hope you don't go, I hope you guys aren't thinking you're going to go get that wolverine. And it's like, well, we're not, but why? Like, what is it about that? Because we're out here hunting, right? And we're, we're hunting under guidelines that you're comfortable with as laid out by the state wildlife agency. And they say that it's all right. Because, well, it's just because they travel so far. And I'm like, well, no, the, 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 we just, we're hunting caribou right now. And this is the, the, the largest, this is the longest migrating land mammal we have. So it's not distance traveled. These things will travel hundreds of miles. He said, well, they live to be old. I'm like, well, there's, you know, we got radio collared elk and other things that they're in their early twenties and you're comfortable hunting those. Well, it's, he doesn't know. Just something's different about it. (laughs) Well, also, isn't it that you're not going to eat it? Would you eat the Wolverine? Well, I got a friend who <laughs> I got. A, yeah, I, I, you know, if I, here's the thing, that's what always goes through my head. What because I'm not dying to go. I'm not like I'm not dying to go get a Wolverine. I'm not, I'm not like really interested in, in uh, eating a Wolverine. Right. I would. Now, I, my friend Buck, um, a, a, a buddy of his, was talking about sitting there coming into Buck's house one time, and he's boiling a Wolverine skull because he wants to keep the skull. And his friend saying, as I'm sitting there watching him clean the skull with a jackknife, he's just picking the skull meat and eating it. So here's a guy that likes Wolverine flesh just fine. Why are you telling me that there was some famous trapper that really enjoyed wolf? Wolf was like his favorite meat? That was the Arctic explorer, Viljalmer Stephenson, who ate, who lived just a strict wild game diet out of necessity while he was uh, traveling in the Canadian high Arctic and, uh, he had actually made first contact with a lot of uh, Inuit hunters in the early, even in the early 1900s. He was making; they, they were aware of whites, but hadn't met whites. But um, yeah, he he was just like that was his meat. Wow, wolf, wolf. meat. He had eaten, you know, he's eaten muskox, doll sheep, caribou. He preferred wolf. Loved it. Talked That's about crazy. all the time. It was his favorite meat. But take this: he one time th- there was a dead whale on the beach that he writes about. And it was like this, uh, like this dried out, like a desiccated whale carcass on a beach. And they were really hard up for food. And so they went and cut the tongue out of this whale. And he, he talked about how they had to boil it, change the water, boil it, change the water, boil it, change the water, just to get the salt out. It was so impregnated with salt. And they eventually eat it. And later he hears, he, they encounter some Inuit hunters and, and they explain, I think it was, that thing had been laying there seven years <laughs> Yeah, so Whoa. he had so he had a strong stomach. Seven years. Another really interesting <laughs> thing that Stephenson you should read Steph, you should read Stephenson's My Life with the Eskimo. My Life with the Eskimo. Because a thing that frustrates Stephenson is that when he he would go, I know I told you about this too. Stephenson would go and try to impress 
the Inuit with technology. But because they had this very elaborate mystical belief system, things weren't impressive to him. Like he would say, you know, he, he would bring up, uh, you know, in our, where, where I come from, we can open a person up and do a surgery. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, we know a guy can pull your whole spine and skull out while you're sleeping and put a new one back in. <laughs> and he'd say, oh, check this gun out. I can shoot something 200 yards away. Like, oh, yeah, we know a guy who can take his bow and shoot it and it'll, the arrow will fly over the mountains and kill something on the other side of the mountains. And he'd always be getting bent out of shape about his inability to impress them because they had, and everyone's telling too, like he's talking about his, uh, a, a, a telescope that he can observe the craters on the moon. And like, we know a guy that hunts up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But one thing he was able to get him on board with was a small stove he had, or he, I think it was his stove where they're like, no, that, that's something. <laughs> I do dig that stove. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Have oh, you, would you, you, you never Oh, yeah, man. Well, if you uh, went wolf hunting, would you be into eating it? Would you definitely take the, the meat? You know what? Oh, there's no way. Yeah, just because of me and my personal, like, just how I like how I approach stuff and sort of the moral system that I have set up. This isn't a comment about what I think other people should do. It's just like me personally. I'm talking about, like, my personal view of what hunting is to me and does for me. Um. Yeah, I would. I'd be actually pretty curious about it. But here's the thing that happens to me is everywhere I go, I'm always buying wolf tags. But then I just don't have the, like when I see them, I don't have a lust. Yeah, I don't, yeah, like I don't have my brother, what my brother describes as lust. I remember one time we were hunting and we, like, I got a doll sheep. Then a few days later, my friend got a, a black bear and we were camped up on a gravel bar. And, you know, here comes a wolf down the other side of the stream from a river from us. Beauty, too. Yeah. Just light. Loping along. White. Dusky light. I mean, it was kind of magical. And just not. And I just felt like, yeah, you know, we just got like a sheet. We got a bear. Like, a, you know, enough's enough. And, um, yeah, it's like it doesn't go. Seeing one, I just don't. I don't feel it. And it's not. It's not so, you know, I'll probably still continue to go buy wolf tags. I don't, I don't like buying tags. I don't look at it as being a waste of money. It goes to fund, right? You know, wildlife agencies. It's not like you're throwing it down the drain. But um, yeah, I get them, and then I don't, I don't walk around being like hoping to every corner I come around there'd be a wolf standing there in range. Yeah, I just want to see them in the wild. I saw, I think I saw one in Alberta. I saw something very dog-like run across the road late at night, like it was uh, like at dusk or waiting to get picked up. And it ran across this uh, dirt road. And it's like, I think that's a wolf. They got a lot of wolves up there, but never seen one like real close where you could definitely get a, get a look at it. But my instinct would definitely not be to shoot it. Yeah, I don't have it. But it, it, what's funny with me is at the same time, I'm uh, a, a very you know, strong advocate of the idea that wild, like, you know, that healthy, sustainable wildlife resources should be managed for you know it should be managed for people to do like extraction of renewable resources so i always support and, and and continue to push for states that have stable populations of wolves to be able to manage them as the state sees fit including if they have wolf seasons but the same way that you know some things i hunt for 
all the time and keep wanting to do it. And there's other things I'm just like, just want to be not that interested in. You know, I was just having this conversation with Remy the other day where, um, you know, after a long time of no emperor goose seasons in, in, in Western Alaska, they're going to have like an emperor goose hunt. And we were kicking this around about how you can apply for a tag for an emperor goose. And, uh, usually I'm like a generalist and I want to go hunt whatever. But in talking about, I was just like, I just don't feel like I'm just not fired up. Like I haven't had enough time to begin to think of it as a game, a game animal. animal. Yeah, you talked have, about that about Africa as well, right? Yeah, like I, yeah, I think that when I look at a lot of things, I just there's certain things I look at. And I'm like, that's a game animal, right? To me, like it's a appealing deer. to me. Yeah. It's appealing to me as a, a thing to hunt, and, and and to other people is different. I think it, you know it's hugely dependent on where you grew up. Like if you see a white-tailed deer, boom, that's food. That's a white-tailed deer. If you see a Neil guy, you're like, oh, look at that. Yeah, huh. what's that again? It's <laughs> a Neil guy, huh? Look at that. So that's what one of those looks huh. like. Yeah, so it's something that develops over time. Yeah, I'm curious about the wolf because I kind of feel like it, what might happen is the same thing that happened with the mountain lion. Yeah. Have you tried mountain lion? Yet? I heard it's delicious. Dude, I look at a mountain lion. I look at a mountain lion and I'm like, that's a game animal. Yeah, but a Serve year ago, <laughs> before we went on that hunt and before you shot that one, before I ended up with whatever, 30 pounds in my freezer, I kind of had hit them and the wolves in the same category. I was kind of like, eh. But you, you couldn't know. tell if it was like an eating thing or not. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden I started eating mountain lion. I'm like, fuck. Oh. We need to get another mountain lion next that December. Could. Oh, I'm telling you. What's it comparable to? Pork. Pork. Yeah. Like wild, a really wild good pork, pork roast. But the fat's good on it. Really? It's got a white fat. But not wow. all, I'm talking tallow, not waxy fat like ungulates. You know, or not that, waxy fat like members of the deer, not ungulates, like members of the deer family. It's got a fat on it that looks like like a pork fat, and that shit is good, man. That plate, the Tahone Ranch place where you took me hunting wild pigs, they have a trail camera that's set up over a pond, and they got 16 different mountain lines on that trail camera. Different. Like, yeah, different ones. They're like, California is overrun. It's overrun because they won't but, manage them. Well, no, but I heard they're killing just as many now as they ever did. They, they still kill a lot. Now the yeah. state's just killing them, Well, right? they're killing them when they encroach on, on civilization. Like, right. they're not killing them out in, like, Tejon Ranch, but they're mm. killing them. Like, in San Francisco, they, uh, they've been doing this thing where they did this study on the, the diet of these mountain lions that they wound up killing because they wind up, you know, getting too close to people. Mm-hmm. It's all pets. It's all dogs and cats. They're eating people's dogs and cats. Like that's like fifty percent of their diet. They thought it'd be mostly deer, but the dogs. But, but it's funny because the public's okay. Like, like, oh yeah, I'm okay with killing mountain lions as long as the person hunting them isn't having a good time. If they're being paid by the government to do it, that's cool. But if they're paying, yeah. if they're paying money, yeah, to go out and do it and they enjoy it and they view the animal with like a certain level of admiration and respect. And want to be like putting its skin in their house to look at for the rest of the life. That's not okay with me. I want the guy who just is punching a nine to five clock and doing it. That's their perspective on it. Yeah. They don't want it to be a pleasurable thing. They want it to be a necessity. Yeah. A management issue. But they don't understand like they're the resources. The The money goes the opposite way. Now you have to pay someone to do something that you would get money from. You know, you would get someone to pay you so that they could go out and do it. Instead, you have to pay someone to go out and do it. Do you hear about that mountain lion, the collared mountain lion in the Santa Monica Mountains that uh, fucked up this alpaca farm? Yeah, I read about this. Yeah, and this woman got a depredation permit, and she got so many death threats. This this mountain lion killed 
<coughs> Eleven alpacas and a goat just went on a rampage. That, just, was, that was a New Yorker. Sorry to interrupt. But that was a New Yorker. Oh, they, story, that's where right? I think I yeah, read it. Yeah. Yeah. And so she got a depredation permit. This is her livelihood. She she raises alpacas, and this thing just slaughtered them. And even though this mountain lion is obviously just recreationally killing animals, the idea of killing that mountain lion was so it angered people that a person would do that. So they, they started sending her death threats, and she panicked, and she pulled out of it, and she's like, I'm not doing anything. So she's sort of left in this terrible situation where, you know, 12 of her animals were murdered by this big-ass <laughs> collared yeah. mountain lion. I mean, really murdered. It's not like he's eating them. You know, it's one thing, like, he killed an alpaca and he ate it. Well, some mountain lions do. You know, if you're going to be around them, maybe she gets some dogs and bark or something. But no, this one just got in and just went on a rampage. She's just, like, surplus killing. People like to really, it's funny that people like to really argue whether that's a reality or not. A mountain lion doing that? People like to debate. It's like people who talk about surplus killing tend to be okay with hunting wolves and mountain lions. Mm. And people who are very uncomfortable by the subject of surplus killing tend to be not okay with it. Like they're like, I don't want to acknowledge that that's true. Because it messes up the, the, the message I'm trying to send about how these animals behave. Basically the same thing you were talking about with like Hillary Clinton with the Russians. Yeah. Like if you were on that team, you would say, well, no, 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 no. You would, you would find some way to, way to justify it. Yeah, it's, it's a tribal idea. And the, the, the tribal idea is there's hunters, these terrible mean people like Elmer Fudd. And then there's us good people who don't believe in that and want to protect wildlife at any cost. I've, I've run into the same thing by writing about um, archaeological work at bison kill sites that sometimes you would have, or that you talk about like articulated and disarticulated carcasses at, at kill sites where you'd have the remains of hundreds of animals, hundreds of buffalo or bison, and a dozen have been processed and the rest are just there. It makes people uncomfortable because there's this tidy notion of that Prior to European contact, like like all killing was very purposeful, and every part of the animal got used, which is like a pretty which, which is a helpful concept to understand hunting practices, you know, among Native Americans. But there are exceptions to the rule, and people don't really like that kind of like extra noise mm. to be like, oh, there's a kill site where 800 of them went off a cliff, and it seems that maybe 20 or so were butchered, and the rest were just left to rot, probably because. It was hot out. How could you ever get to them all? Yeah. It was like a thing that happened. And, and it does, and it winds up, it's just like people don't like that kind of stuff. Yeah. That like, you know what? Sometimes a mountain lion will just kill a ton of shit kind of because it, it just enjo it enjoys the excitement of it. Yeah. We'll never know what's really in his head, but he's expending energy, right? He's, he's putting himself to risk which they understand. So there's something he's getting out of this. Or else, why would it be that he would just go out and like, I'm going to expel a ton of energy and really be at risk in a place I know I shouldn't be or a place that's like more scary than when I'm laying up in a tree in the middle of a thicket. I'm going to do all that and kill a bunch of stuff. He's got to be getting something. There's something that's coming out of that. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day, those wild animal parks. You ever see that wild animal park footage from Beijing? Uh, where this woman got in an argument 
with her boyfriend. She gets mm-hmm. out of the car. And the yeah. Tiger jacks her. No. Yeah, it's it's crazy footage because she got she she shut the passenger side door and she storms over to the boyfriend's you know side and she's yelling at him and then out of nowhere this tiger just goes just grabs her and and t- like that's what it wants to do that's what it does like you can't just feed it killed her. Yeah, killed her. Didn't mm-hmm. kill her. Killed the person who tried to rescue her. Her mom got out of the car oh, and man. chased after the the lion or the tiger, and the tiger killed her. Yeah, mauled her, killed her mom. That's what they want to do, and you can't just feed them. You just can't just keep feeding them. That's not good enough. Like they're designed to kill things. They're nature's cleanup system. Anything with a limp gets taken out. Everything slower gets taken out, and then all of a sudden they're in this weird enclosure where people are staring at them through glass. And they never get to kill anything. And like all these reward systems that are primal, that are just a part of their DNA since the, the beginning of time, they don't get exercised. It's kind of kind of torture in a lot of ways. Yeah. I want to point out too, I don't, when I talk about like surplus killing among predators, I don't in any way hold this against them. Right. I'm not pointing out like, oh, and they, you know, and they deserve to, to have bad things happen to them. It's just... You know, just in understanding wildlife, which I'm interested in, it's just a factor. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not saying there's any, I'm not proposing there's any, like, thing there. I, I believe that, I believe we should continue to try to recover and maintain all of our wildlife anywhere that it's, anywhere that it's plausible to do so. So I know that there, there are people within the hunting world who would like to see who uh, don't really welcome the return of certain predators on the landscapes. But I think that, in, in generally speaking, in places where, uh, where we can recover large carnivores and have, let's say, minimal risk or a limited risk of them having human conflict, I think we should do it. I'm not like a guy who wants to go wipe them off the face of the earth out of some notion that you're going to, have tons of more elk and deer around. Yeah, of course. And that probably comes by like the hunt in Alaska. Yeah. And Alaska, you got, you know, wolves and grizzlies across, I don't know, 97 or 98% of their historic range. And it's also a great place to go hunting. People, people in lower 48 are super anti-predator and they're always talking about how they want to hunt Alaska. I'm always like, oh, you wouldn't like it, bro. It's a bunch of predators up there. <laughs> Must not be any good, right? <laughs> well, I like... I like the idea of wild, right? The wild. And the wild is balanced. You're going to have everything. You're going to have the wolves. You're going to have the predators. You're going to have the prey. It's going to be the whole wild experience. Everything else is just some sort of a weird artificial environment. Like you've removed all the predators, and now you get to be the predator only. And you get to drive in in your truck and hop out and just pick what you like and just shoot it. It's not really wild. Yeah. You know? I love that feeling of looking over my shoulder, man. There's a few uh, places left, though. Lower you, 48, okay. it's tough to really get wild. I don't know, man. Do you what? still feel that way after your experience at a Fognac? Oh, buddy. My that, feelings have changed. That podcast was well, I still amazing. feel like I'm looking over my shoulder. That podcast was amazing. I, remember I was pissed at you for breaking it up into two pieces, though. Well, you know, I, I should come clean <laughs> You and a lot of our fans. <laughs> I, I, I should come clean on that. And I've told I've, everyone that's asked about it. In private conversation, I've told them what happened. We were a little light on content. So we, have, we wouldn't even have broken it up. It just was convenient that we were, that we, were we had, we needed to like fill a spot. Yeah. I'll take the blame as a producer. 
And I was like, wow, we just talked about that so long. You could actually make that too. And then we wouldn't be needing to worry about how we're, how we're low on uh, release dates. People were pissed. Why do you have a, um, do you, you have to release a certain amount of them? No, it's just in our heads. Mm, you gotta let that go. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But I just, I'm like, I'm like, I like uh, I'm a rigid guy. <laughs> Oh, well, I like that think. advice, Joe. I like that. Yeah, you got to let that go. Yeah, yeah. This is the beautiful thing about being your own content provider, right? Your own. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's the the only thing that makes me happy. I don't have. I mean, it's not the only thing, but one of the primary things about this job that I love so much is I don't have a boss. Nobody can tell me what to do. There's no, I do whatever I want. You know, if I if I, I can call the people up and go tomorrow, there'll be there's going to be two podcasts next week, but we have all these ads. Tough shit. Bye. Click. <laughs> That's it. This is what I'm doing. I'm doing two. Next week, I'll do five. You know, I'm taking the week off after that. I don't want to have a s- schedule. I don't think that's good for you. Not, not when it comes to some things. I want to answer your question, though. That shit it changed me. It changed my soul. But you're, sure. you're, you're more skittish now. Well, yeah, definitely more, a little more skittish. I don't know. Maybe that'll go away as, as you know, time will just sort of, you know, smooth it out. But... I tell you that I told you we saw a grizzly when I went to hunt with your brother and yeah, I had yeah. my daughter with me. They haven't seen Ooh. a grizzly on this ranch in forty years, maybe longer. We roll in there, come to find out, Sal and three cubs had taken a deer away from some hunters the night before. But it just really didn't like click that it was like right in that general zone. Well, the next morning we wake up and at gray light we're crossing the big meadow and I'm glassing to the north end of it. And I'm looking. And I'm like, that ain't elk. That ain't deer. <laughs> Those are big bears. And they get up on their rear legs, you know, looking our direction. They're probably 300 yards away. But I mean, it, certainly having my daughter there played a big part. Oh, in dude, me, if you me had, being like, oof. I'm getting the hell out if of here. If you didn't have your daughter with you, if your daughter wasn't with you. And you had bailed. I would never talk to you again. <laughs> That's not true. Yes, it is. I would never ever <laughs> talk to you again. <laughs> Were you wearing? A, you have a rifle on you? Yeah. Were and, you rifle hunting? I, or when I heard spray? that story, I was like, "Oh, it's." Cause, and I even said I would have done the same thing because I can't imagine ever hearing the end of it from my wife. Yeah. But I if guess my, bear, my point though that I want to get to is, is not is not just like on a on a you know case by case basis of now well, how do I feel when I run into bears, but just sort of this this bigger idea of you know large predators on the landscape, us living with them. Because now as the GYE bears population grows, you know my house, it's only a matter of time until one walks through my yard. Right. You know, I mean, it could be happen today. I mean, right. You know, it wouldn't be at all unusual. Montana is ex- exploding with them, right? But but. Yeah, I'm just saying that yeah, it's sort of like I'm just now having di- different feelings about how earlier I used to be like, yeah, great grizzly bears everywhere. Now Hold on, you're like, like you're, you're anti grizzly now. No, so mix up? no, oh. I'm just saying that like my you know something's changed inside of me. And I'm thinking about it, more worried about it. Mm, yeah, and I just yeah. I haven't come to a conclusion yet, but it's this is a powerful experience. Well, I like what you said about it. That you were saying you had all these ideas of what it would be like, and you had experienced false charges before. You'd experienced all that stuff. You had an idea what an attack would be like, and it was so so beyond what you could have possibly imagined. Yeah, I feel like I I scratch an itch because I had always wanted to get a little bit mauled up. <laughs> and you talked about getting claw marks across your chest, like a long scar, like a tattoo. Yeah, now I'm like, oh, that's what that's like. I don't want nothing to do with that shit, man. <laughs> You know, one time I was sitting there trying to call a turkey, and, and and no joke, 
heard an exhale in my ear. But I mean, just, I'm going to do it. It's just like this. And whip my head around, and it's a bear feet, like I had called in a bear who was sneaking in behind me. Jesus. Not a grizzly, a black bear. I, that gave me the shakes for a long time. What did it do? Just, it was just, it exhaled in my ear. What did you do? When I flipped around, I, like, I was just, just, you know, scared and stumbled backward, but I wasn't half as scared as he was once he realized what I was. I think he makes his, I think at that time of year, he makes his business walking around, listening for hens to go off and then goes eat their eggs mm. or eats their chicks and probably kills some of them. And I was calling, he was coming in. I think he got up to right where the part is where he like pounces, but had a like, whoa, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I just hear him go like a, per, like, I don't know what, I, I feel like the first thing I thought was it was a person. They're so quiet. That's the crazy never thing. never hurt. And he was just, I mean, I could have poked him with my gun. I mean, they're, just right there. They're so big and yet they can just silently move over twigs. Mm-hmm. They just have this weird way of articulating their their paws and their bodies. Our buddy was calling turkeys in New Mexico and looks and does a double check because he's on, he's sitting alongside a two track and the grass he stripped down the middle is a lion belly to the grass using the grass he stripped as camouflage stalking him as he calls turkeys. Whoa. And that thing, it's not going to kill you, but it's probably gets to where it gets in range and it sees that movement and it's going to pounce. I remember a guy reading about a guy who was, who was predator calling and when a bobcat came in, took his hat right off, hit him so hard. Whoa. Yeah, he's like making rabbit squeals and the bobcat sees his hat move and says that bobcat came in and like flew off with his hat. <laughs> when it hit him in the head man crazy it's a wild world out there man it is a wild world it's just most people don't experience it you know, I love it I love yeah I love the excitement of it I love the dangerous parts of it yeah no I love it too and I love it in many ways thanks to you oh I keep meaning to bring this up this is our hundredth episode. I meant to bring this up in the beginning, but I got distracted by the guy who heard the show open and thought its tree was falling. Um, this is our hundredth episode. And the reason I wanted to do it with you because I wouldn't be doing it if it, if it wasn't for you. One, inspiration and two, encouragement. I've told you before, you're a very generous person. And uh, I want to appreciate thank you. that. It's been fun <laughs> to do this 100 times. And um, well, I'm selfishly happy that you do it because I love listening to it. Well, thank you. I really loved that one the other day with the writer, the uh, fly fishing writer. John Gearock. Oh, he was great. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is a, a, a small token of my appreciation to have you on right now because it was, uh, it's been fun doing this and I wouldn't, I honestly would not be doing it if I hadn't seen you do it so well and then have you say that I ought to be doing it too. Well, it's a travesty if you didn't do it because I think your voice is so important in this really conflicted world when it comes to wildlife and hunting and conservation and all of these different subjects your your voice is incredibly necessary and there's only so much of your voice that's going to get on your television show so much of your voice is going to get out through the articles that you write or the books that you write there needs to be more 
and your voice in the podcast realm. You're, you're designed for podcasts, man. You could go forever. You have so many stories. You're so you're so articulate. It's like it's for you. This is like it's the perfect venue. It really is. And when I first did the podcast with you, I was like, why does this guy have a fucking podcast? Like, you should have a podcast. <laughs> people get mad at me when I tell people they should have a podcast. Like, hey, bro, everybody doesn't need to have a podcast. I used to get these comments. I'd be like, a lot of people need a podcast, and there's plenty of room for everybody. Yanni, you too. You've been in it for a long time now. Yeah. I've done 99. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, it's Yanni's 100th podcast. I can't, I can't let you leave without... I was with Callan last night, and he was, he was grabbing me like, when? When are we hunting again? When are we hunting again? Because he hasn't been hunting since that last trip that we did in... Was it Alaska or was yeah. it the turkey hunting? Turkey hunting. Turkey hunting was the last one. That was the last how's one. He, how's he doing? Is he good? He's good. He's doing good. Kicking ass. I had a doing guy the other, day, uh, the other day. I did an event in... Uh, in Oregon, and a guy came up and asked about the cashmere killer. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, no, we'll, we'll get one on the books. Man. Let's we're do just, one. I, no, I think we. I think we should absolutely should because yeah. now we're starting to get to that time of year where we're looking ahead to next year. What do you think about uh, going to Lanai? Let's go bow that and axes deer. That I would like to do. It's the greatest thing ever. They're super delicious, and you're in paradise. It's, it seems surreal. You're bow hunting, and you look to your left, and it's the Pacific Ocean, and it's gorgeous. It's amazing, and it's it's also a necessary. When you talk about conservation, I mean, they hire people, they hire snipers. Yeah, that's one of those weird them. places where the conservation goal is to get rid of the animals. <laughs> yeah, they literally told me when we go there, it goes everything you want to shoot, shoot it. Everything? They go, yep. There's no number. Nope, no number. You have a license. Once you have a license, you can shoot as many as you want. Like yeah. you shoot five, six deer if you wanted to. It'd be crazy. Know. You could have deer for a year. And they give it to everybody. Great. Oh, they're right. amazing. They're good. Yeah, I've had them before. They're amazing. I hunted one on Molokai, and it was amazing. They're super tender, too. Like shoulder meat and, and uh, like uh, hams taste like backstraps or a tenderloin. It's like super tender. They're delicious. And I had an old buck, too. And still, like, really tender meat. Really good. I mean, it's just a weird environment. I'm sold. Let's do it. And you can shoot with anything, rifle, no, bow right. and arrow. If you're, you're going to bow and arrow hunt, I'm going to bring yeah. the old bow and arrow. I'll, I'll dust her off. All right, dust it off. Right, Callan's Joe. got the cashmere killer. has got a bow. Really? Yeah, I'll bring him here. I'll have I'll test him on the range. We'll we'll start we'll start training him. Got little suction cups on the end of the arrows. <laughs> 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 All right, Joe Rogan, host of the Joe Rogan Experience. Um, really good stand up that makes you want to piss your pants. All kinds of stuff. Color commentator. I do a lot of things. You once told me you had three jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's more. Maybe three. Uh, color commentary for the UFC, stand-up comedy, podcasting. Yeah, it's pretty much just those three. You've done some TV and film action. I've done those things too. Yeah. I don't anymore though. All right. Thank just, you, Joe Rogan. Thank you. Thanks for introducing me to hunting. No problem. It was all you. For no, real. No problem at all. Yeah, it's we such a reciprocal a giving relationship here. And it works out well for me and you. It's, uh, it's very hard for someone who's in their 40s to figure out how to hunt. You know, So for me to have you mentor me and take me out like that and show me how to do it and then take me to Montana into like a, a real, you know, the Missouri breaks, real wild environment. That was a life-changing experience. Like I said, to this day... That moment of cooking that deer over that fire 
after a successful hunt where Callan, Callan had killed, I'd killed, we're sitting there and we're eating and we're enjoying it and it tastes delicious. And I was like, this is it. This is the solution. I'll add, too, as a final thought, is uh, that's a national monument. All right. Thanks for joining us. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.